Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Club. This is the place everyday real estate investors gather to share their best stories, biggest insights, and favorite tactics to grow a portfolio of cash-flowing properties in today's market. Here's your host, Gabe Peterson. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Real Estate Investing Club. Uh, we are back in our original setup. We got a uh, family got back from California yesterday. We drove all through the night. Um, we left at 6 p.m. because we have a little baby. We wanted her to sleep uh, through the drive. And so we left at 6. We got back today at 11 a or yesterday at 11 a.m. And so we're back. We got our setup. We got the mic. We got the, the video. So <laughs> I hope everything sounds back to normal for y'all. Um, it's going to be a good show today because we have Jordan Sylvester from us from Ontario, Windsor, Canada, near Ontario. Um, and he does, he's a broker. He does a lot of flips, uh, single family. Um, and we're going to talk about uh, uh, basement unit conversions today because that is, you know, it's one of the few things that still pencils in today's environment um, with interest rates and crazy, crazy valuations with houses. So I am super excited to jump into it. Jordan, thank you uh, very much for hopping on the show. Hey, thanks, Gabe. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to a good conversation. Absolutely. Um, I told you before we got on here, we like to start with stories. So tell us, how did you get started in real estate? So as real as a realtor, my dad was uh, actually a real estate agent since 1988. I uh, came back to work with him after my foray as a youth into my own nonsense for about five years, and then <laughs> came back to realize that maybe what my dad did wasn't so bad. Um, and decide, like, and he even said to me, he's like, I always thought you'd be a good realtor, but if I told you to do it, <laughs> <laughs> the first thing you do is be like, no, I'm not doing that. And so uh, a few years later, came back, uh, joined him um, in the business and I've uh, been doing that since 2008. So been through one of these recessions before, uh, spent a lot of time helping people buy you know, uh, their investments, do a lot of these things as a realtor. And then I was sitting there and was asked a very clear question about like all of the great deals, all of the wealth you've helped your clients build. And this isn't a negative thing. It's just to say, but you haven't done that yourself. If you're you're telling everyone else to do it, but you're not doing it, like, isn't that hypocritical? So in 2019, so we'll fast forward through all of the, the cutting your teeth in real estate, I jumped into more of the investor. Um, ran through that, picked up my first property, uh, you know, did the did the normal Burr method on it, did a bit of a renovation, was able to refi, pull all capital back out rent it, make, you know, make your normal cash flow. And that worked in 2019 and it worked pretty much all the way up until about 2022. Um, and so that was that. And today, like you mentioned, the basement conversion method is the only way to seem to get to cash flow as the primary equity, right? So equity build is a little bit stable at the moment. I mean, you're not seeing the flip ability like you could because when you the market did it for you, right? Like a lot of the heavy lifting for us as investors in different markets over the last number of years has been the market itself. It hasn't been, hey, look, I did this really good thing or I have this really good strategy. It was put a sign in the lawn. The price is just going up because the, the whole market is going up. And so with all of that, we made those adjustments. So we went into this model. Basically, we look at anything that has a great basement, good solid bones, and we're going in and we're, we're, we're duplexing it or, or making that in-law suite unit, depending on the bylaw requirement with your township, verify what you are and aren't allowed to do and how you have to define things. Um, and then you just have to set yourself up in a way where you follow the rules the best you can, but at the same time, get to the result you are as the investor and make sure that's the process you're taking. Yep, that makes sense. Um, yeah. And I mean, I live in Seattle, uh, other coasts, but uh, also a very expensive market. And you just it's impossible to find anything that cash flows here. It just doesn't exist. 
Um, so you do, you have to do something unique. You have to change the property in some way. Um, basement conversions, I've never done it, but it makes a lot of sense for me. Mm-hmm. One thing that would, you know, I'd be nervous about going into that um, is just there's a lot of requirements for, especially in Seattle, there's a ton of requirements for flips and for turning a, a, a unit into a unit. Um, what do you look for when you look at these these basements? What do you what kind of criteria are you looking for to make sure that it would fit a conversion? So so a lot of the best properties for conversions are raised ranches because they're already designed to be about four feet out of the ground. So they're not completely sunk, right? A ranch, the mm, issue is is you have yeah. small windows. So egress is your is the enemy of 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 difficulty. Like the, the soundproofing, you can take the ceiling down, put in soundproofing. Everything then is internal. When you're dealing with external excavation to put egress in or do those things, that's where you run into your largest cost. So the biggest thing you want to look for is the simplicity of egress. It's not to say don't take on the other projects, just understand. The best projects, of course, are the ones that have an entry at the front and an entry at the back, because for for the biggest piece that we've run into as far as townships go, it's safety, right? So they want to make sure in case of fire, in case of emergency, there is there is safety concerns there. Um, the secondary thing is going to be noise, right? So again, what you try to make sure you do is you put bedrooms over bedrooms, you put um, family room over family room, and you put bathroom over bathroom. So that way, all of the noises that would impact the lifestyle of the people in these units is also important because if you end up where, which we've done and learned from our mistakes is with just the way the basement lays out, it was better for the purposes of putting the bedrooms on this side instead of that side. Well, then you have people sleeping while people are watching TV and, and the base, and then you, you have this tenant conflict, right? So in the process, we've looked into the big pieces of that puzzle are again, you need to, you know, electrical, all the normal um, code issues that you run into, whether you're doing a main floor rental or a basement, the big one in the basement's egress followed up by soundproofing. And so you just want to make sure that you have those two pieces in place and you do it. You can only do it the best you can, but people live in apartments all the time. People live in, in semi where they share a wall. There's a lot of really good ways you can find ways to soundproof between units and, and do that. So that's my primary thing. You need height. Height is the only one I'm not as uh, like the, the city has a rule on height. And that's where I mentioned in-law suite versus actual conversion duplex. And the only reason I say that is not every basement's going to meet the height requirement because again, we're an old city. So we have a lot of, and, and again, like I'm only 5'10". So I can walk around a lot of these basements, but I've got my brother-in-law who's six foot two, six foot three, right? He can't. And so again, don't rent that unit, right? Like it's not that complicated, but the city has rules where you have to have certain heights. And so we play a little bit in the gray there. Um, mm. But that's why I'd be clear. You need to make sure you define the terms correctly. In those scenarios, you rent the whole house out to two families in this scenario versus we we have separate leases. We have separate things. And there's, of course, more value in truly independent um, duplexes than into these conversions. So you have to consider that as your ARV. Um, you have to think of it from the perspective of the lender. Lenders don't like uh, if you, if I, like, I've got the simple thing where I have my duplex It's a true legal duplex with the in-law suite third unit with that, I can't go to the bank and use the income of the whole property. They won't accept it because it's not legal. I can only use the legal rent. So then what I do in that scenario is of course, the lease in the basement and the lease on the main floor is all leased to two families. And the rent is slightly higher because of people. You can't get it all the way to what your maximum would be. So depending on your banking institution, depending on their rules, there's, there are a lot of pieces to that puzzle once you understand them in your environment. And this is why having a really good mortgage broker, you want to make sure your insurance is in good standing, right? You don't want to get yourself into insurance issues. And then again, having a good realtor in your area who who is either done these or at least knows the people to talk to at the city 
um, and, and those verifications. Because if you don't, you, I'll always say this, I'm willing to take on certain risks in the investment world, just like if you get a bad tenant, all these other things, if and when these things happen versus not knowing they could happen, right? Like if you don't realize that the city can come and say certain things based on what you've done, you you want to make sure as a, again, I'm a real estate professional. So I have a certain level of fiduciary responsibility to this, especially if I'm the one selling it afterwards to somebody else, I can't make a false disclosure. And I don't want to just so we're clear, but you want to be very clear about what it is and what it isn't. And in functioning, even from the tenant perspective, if your tenants know what it is and what it isn't, if the city stops by or somebody stops by and asks questions, they know how to answer them so that they don't end up losing their home. Because if they say, oh, yeah, I know this is a duplex and it's not legally. If you say, we are, no, no, we're two families living together. They can't like, again, I'm not saying, you know, I'm a person who looks at the rules, understands the rules and then tries to bend them, but not break them. Right. And and work within the system that's there and also work within safety. I'm, I never want to get a phone call from one of my properties where I did this basement conversion and they couldn't get out because I didn't put the right windows in. They couldn't get out because I didn't take care of putting the right uh, water suppression system in if that's the requirement for that unit. These are the big pieces to that specific thing. But like I said, the benefit is, is you can almost increase cash flow by a thousand bucks a month for spending about 60 to $80,000, depending on what the unit is. And if I tell most people say, Hey, for 80 grand, I'll give you a thousand dollars a month cash flow. Easy. Pretty much everyone <laughs> on the planet's about to do it. Now, the only thing I will say, the caveat is you do have to buy the asset first, right? Yeah. But the, the ability to add that level of cash flow to your property for the perspective of paying for the new mortgage rates, carrying costs, and and other things, and a lot of times, depending on utilities, you do, you figure that out along the way. But it seems to work well. It seems that you you do these few steps well. Um, tenants are happier. You have less turnover. Um, you know, and then the short-term rental market that exists in my current market, because we have some bat, we have the battery plant being built and other unique things. We have a university and a college. You can also convert in these units into, you know, student rental or short-term rental. So you have one that's maybe more fixed and one that's more profitable. So again, depending on your, what you're up to, you can kind of get away with a few different metrics that uh, really do help you push your cash flow, which is the, the thing in the current market, I think is way more important than the equity um, position. Cause I think in the equity position in time will always win. It's in the moment. It's how do I maintain this asset? How do I make sure that it protects itself, pays for itself? And I'm not coming out of my personal pocket. Yeah. Um, what do you, so usually, I mean, these raised ranches, they're the, the top floor is usually much bigger on a square foot basis than the bottom, than the basement. Um, it doesn't, you know, usually take up that entire lower level. What is the, What's the square footage that you're usually adding when you're adding these basement conversions? And then what's the bed bath ratio that you add? So a lot of the main floor units of a raised ranch are three bed, one and a half, like one uh, and a half or two baths, depending on if there's the, uh, the, the master has the ensuite. Basement, the benefit is you lose one room almost always to the utility room, right? So there's a utility room in the basement. You do usually have to figure out where you're going to put laundry up on the main floor. That's one of the things or in the garage. So we've done it where we've heated the garage and put it out there for the main floor. So we have done some things around that so that we can do either. um, We try to give people their own laundry. People don't really like to share. Um, and so that's one of those things, but the, we basically end up with a two bedroom unit in the basement and we end up with, uh, the living room, dining room, kitchen combo. So we have the big space. And then sometimes if we're really lucky and you buy the right ones, you get that third bedroom and the third bedroom usually produces about 150, even up to $200 more a month in cash flow just for the extra room. So if you can lay out well, the, the unit, um, you can get up to three, but most I would say conversions are two bedroom units. And that's why you're probably getting about $1,400 a month out of that $1,500, give or take. 
And by the time you have your extra cost, your extra carry and the extra utilities, it works out to be somewhere between 800 and about a thousand dollars extra income coming into the property to help you hopefully uh, grow your wealth. And in the long-term reality is if interest rates, one of the things in Canada that's different from the U S is we, we date the rate for five years and then it can change on us. Whereas down there, you guys have your 30 year fixed mortgage rate. We have 30 year amortization. We only have five year fixed rate. And Mm. so we have uh, when you're dating the rate up here, you got to make sure that if there is a change, uh, a, it can be beneficial. So if the rates do come back down to 4% from six and a half, then all of a sudden in a couple of years, you're refinancing the property. You can pull some equity, you lower the rate. So now you're pulling more capital back to, to get yourself back to fully, you know, um, you know, the property is now completely, um, what's the right word I'm looking for? Uh, like a, for a perfect burr. So some burrs you leave money behind And The objective is, is, is in my theory with a lot of my clients is a five year perfect burr is still a perfect burr, right? Like if in five years you're able to refi, the interest rates are down, you're able to pull the last little bit out. Cause right now a perfect burr again in the market condition, cause the getting the appraisal value up high enough to pull the capital out is where we run into a lot of those plays. Whereas before, again, in the flip market, the, the, if you're burring, it was easy. Cause by the time you got down the road, there was another $50,000 worth of equity. Well, you get, you know, you only got to worry about the 10 grand. You get the extra 40. Well, that makes a lot easier to pay off your rental costs. So yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, and you mentioned ceiling height is an issue, um, which yeah. makes sense because there's a lot of, uh, you know, basements out here that are like six feet ceilings. It's super, super short. Um, yep. So do you, have you ever dug down and, you know, excavated the the floor or is it, if it's under, you know, six feet, you just say, no, I'm not going to do it. Uh, so in under six feet, I do what we call the the in law suite. So if oh, right. if it if if we avoid, so if I have to uh, digging down, the, the I so I have partners and people who have done it. It all comes down to time, energy, and money, right? And so this situation, if you're going to go that route, um, you're going to end up spending probably an extra fifteen grand to mm-hmm. do that because you're going to have to repour the whole basement floor, right? Like yeah. your, your square footage, so. In that scenario, once you're looking at now, if you're getting a crazy deal, it might make sense. And if you're looking to do it and and it might be in a neighborhood where it makes long-term sense that you're going to do this thing. And right now, like, cause the other thing I want to say is uh, in these conversions, the other thing is they always could go back to single family. That's where the, a lot of these ones we're doing, especially raised ranches are usually in more family oriented neighborhoods. They're too new of homes to necessarily be in the rental areas, right? Like we all know in our cities, there's the new neighborhoods where families generally live in some rent and then the areas where it's mostly rental in some own, right? And so um, in these conversions, you want to know where you are and whether or not that value add is long-term benefit, right? Because if you do some of those things, then you go to sell it later. A lot of people might be buying it and their kids are in the basement. They're not going to give you the same money as if they're not going to have somebody living with them. So these are all questions we verify um, when we're going to go down and underpin. So basically that's underpinning. You got to dig it out. You usually have to leave a bit of a shelf. So you lose some square footage around the edges. I've seen it done. It does work. Um, my, my viability for it is more of a no only because it adds a lot of layers with the city. It adds a lot of time to the project. And for me personally, I, I don't like the city almost as a starting point as a conversation. (laughs) And that's just personal. I don't want to deal with headaches where I'm not in control because one of the things that usually ties up most of our hands is the red tape. You're like, I'm going to follow all the rules. Can I just do all these things and you tell me all of the rules and then we'll verify as we go, but verify the next day, not verify the next week or whenever you guys get yeah, around to right. showing up to do it. And so again, I do a lot of things and I do a lot of things in my business that that color within the gray that are, we we make sure, like I said, safety, electrical safety, plumbing safety, 
uh, windows, size, doors, everything safety first. And then usually it's only when we need permits for very specific things, upgrade electrical panel, do these other things where we then call the city and deal with those things specifically, maybe at a different time. I'm not advising anyone, again, risk reward factors here. You could end up where they're going to come in and make you undo things you've done. So please, please, please understand you got to know the difference between what you're allowed to do in your own home without asking permission from the city that you live in and, the, and those things and what you can't and know where those lines are and where your risks are in doing them and not doing them on that conversation. Because you will find if you have an inspector in the house and they see something, they definitely have the right to then say, you have to do these things differently. We need you to open the wall. We need you to do X, Y, Z. And you don't really want to be there in that scenario, if you, especially if you don't know it could happen. So the, the last thing you want in this business is to find those huge ticket items that cause your renovation budget to go from 40 to 60 grand, right? Like that's the one that kills you. Um, you know, 40 to 44, well, you should expect that. But 40 to 60, that's the one that kind of makes the, the numbers usually break. So be careful in all of that. But as an investor, as we all know, we're always looking for the angle. We're always looking for the deal. We're always looking for... How do we get to the best result? We're not necessarily looking to cut corners. I, people are like, well, you're trying to do it cheap. I'm like, no, I'm trying to do it right. I'm just trying to do it at speed as well. Because we all know that a lot of us use leverage funds and the, that's private funds at 1% per month or you know, 12% a year or your eight or six, wherever you are that makes sense for your deal. So a week down is quite a bit costly in that time frame before you get that refi done and, and pull your capital back out and, and get those deals done. So yeah. Yeah. And I just... Uh, um... I didn't know where Windsor was. I'm going to be completely oh, honest with you. So I Googled okay. it real quick <laughs> and I just realized it's right next to Detroit. Um, Correct. And it's really interesting. I mean, Windsor, your your median home price is 499000 Detroit's median home price is 85000 Um, Have you ever, do you buy like cash flowing properties in Detroit and then do your flips in Windsor or do you do anything in Detroit over there? So, so I'll be honest, I've looked at Detroit a lot. We, one of the big things we almost did years ago. So they had a $10 million uh, sell off of, of 67 homes. And so the trick was you had to buy them all. Oh. <laughs> so, which was fine. So you're buying, you're buying an allotment of property and we looked into it pretty closely. The biggest things you ran into was a, I can't work over there. I can't work on my own home over there because we have laws. Right. And so part of it, is uh, it, it has to do with the fact I'm a Canadian citizen. Now, uh, that does not mean I won't do it. It just is, there was a lot of hiccups that you had to jump through because as you buy real estate in another country, you have to follow the rules of that country. And by being a foreign citizen, like a for, like a foreigner into the land, as much as it is, I can be in Detroit. I was there on the weekend for the Lions game. Uh, I watched it at the watch party. That was a sad, <laughs> sad moment, but it was still amazing. We made it to the NFC title game. I yeah. just wish they didn't give us so much hope in the first half. Yeah. But um, when you look at uh, the the ability to be there in 10 minutes, like I can hit the border in 10 minutes and be in Detroit, it wouldn't be a big deal from the perspective of getting over to look at property, getting over to do that part. It's the fact once I start to operate at, in business across the border, there are some rules. And so again, I, I've looked into it. I just haven't done my due diligence in it. And by the time I was doing all my stuff over here, I just never really got across. And I, and part of Keller Williams is they're a massive U.S. brokerage. We deal with a lot of Americans over there. Jeff Glover, one of the largest realtors in that region. I've chatted with him about it. Again, it's just a matter of actually going through the steps to open up the proper corporation to follow the proper rules. Whereas a Canadian citizen, it's real easy to do it over yeah. here because it's just in my backyard. Now, again, I think there's a lot of um, really cool things about looking at the U.S. market. You guys are way more volatile. So it's kind of like, 
don't take this the wrong way, but like you can either buy like Canada tends to be very stable over over the course of history. We're very stable overall market. We have we have high and lows that usually hold in a tighter window than in the US where you have your highs and you have your true lows. And so, again, the benefit of that is you can get invested into markets that are low today and they're going to be up, you know, three times that market in a couple of years just due to other influences that come in. And rate changes over there. And the your your market shows so much more information. Ours is a very protected information market. Um, oh, I can almost, if I look up your house on, on Zillow right now or whatever, it's going to tell me what you paid for it, what your mortgage is. Like, it's going to tell me everything. You do that. There's so many private sales in Canada. You can almost get no information unless you're a realtor like myself um, to access uh, like sold data. You have to go and pay and, and do all these other things, even just to get to find out who owns a property here. You can go downtown to the courthouse, but like, it's just a totally different market from that perspective. So I do love the idea of investing in the U S I just haven't got myself. Uh, let's when I mentioned earlier, and I don't think I mentioned in this yet or earlier before we chatted that I was heading towards being an invest, like a true investor and, and maybe not as much as of a realtor. And that that was part of the plan. I have a Canadian, uh, I have a Canada Corp, not an Ontario Corp, primarily because one's provincial, one's national, and then the national corp can jump the border. So there was a plan to cross. It's just I just didn't get that far before the market shifted and everything kind of made me have to reassess what I was doing here to yeah. to take care of it. So sorry for the long winded answer, but that's no, the no, no, yeah, makes sense. <laughs> Plus, Detroit is uh, that that's a city that's seen some seen better days, and so you know who knows if you actually want to buy and and hold out there, but um, yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it comes up soon. All right, man. Uh, looks like we have gone through our time. So it is time to okay. jump through into the quick question round. Are you ready? Let's go. Let's go. Uh, it starts with books or any form of education. Could be Netflix shows, could be YouTube channel, whatever. I just need two recommendations, one for general life wisdom and then one for real estate. Uh, so general life wisdom, uh, I would lean on uh, Jordan Peterson. Um, I really have enjoyed the the way I think. So understanding how I think so that I can then know that the people I need around me to to protect against my own insanity, right? Like it's, it, it, it's uh, one of the things I've learned is I need to make sure that I'm not always internally speaking. I'm externally speaking to people who can actually speak back at me. And even if I don't listen in the end, at least I had that conversation so that I could gain clarity um, about my mindsets, about the things in life that truly matter. On the real estate side of things, on the investment side, uh, Lifestyle Investor was a really cool um, mindset. Like they, again, using using he was buying up a lot of the uh, the trailer parks using whole life policies and doing a lot of that. So my thing with him though was he's like find the edge. Find a piece, find a way to always add a little bit of something in the deal for you, right? Like whether or not the deal makes sense here, find that extra little piece of uh, uh, at the end that you can add into your world. And so whenever I look at real estate transactions or other deals or business relationships, it's I'm willing to trade this today, but I'm going to take this tomorrow type of a thing. Like you're looking at the other angles to try to find more solutions um, so if you're going to go into equity, but then you have the long-term, you have the long-term piece, right? You're going to be, I'll lend you this money, but I'm going to own 3% forever, but I'll lend you the money at 12%, right? It's that extra piece that I didn't really, as an investor, whether I was doing lens, whether I was doing flips, whether I was doing things, I didn't always think about other ways that you can leverage the same money to do things that long-term benefit, including the short-term. So that was the finance, um, lifestyle investor was a really cool book. Nice. Um, I have, I've never heard of that one, so maybe I'll have to pick it up. Uh, all right. Next question is for your younger self. So let's go back to the Jordan <laughs> who was just getting into real estate way back in 2008. Um, go to him, look him in the eye, give him one piece of advice moving forward. 
uh, failure is learning. It's the number one thing I have to still remind myself of is I'm, I, I, I've made a lot of mistakes. I got to understand that it's learning and not beat the living crap out of myself for things that I chose. And it's not to say don't reflect, but don't, don't hold yourself accountable to things you did wrong because like in the meaning of that is not in a way that is unhealthy. There's, there's learning, right? So take the learning, let go of the emotion. Don't, don't hold on to the regret the shame or whatever it is that you're holding on to in life, let it go. Because yeah. if you do, you move so much faster, take the learning and run, right? Like, okay, I learned this thing by being an idiot. Cool. Moving on. And so that would be the number one piece of advice I give to my young self. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the biggest regrets that I have are deals that I didn't do that I should have done because I was too afraid to fail. Um, and so, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if you're afraid of moving forward, just do it. Uh, you know, obviously do your due diligence, make sure it's a deal. But if, if you're at the, at the finish line and you're thinking about making that next step, just go out there and do it. If you fail, it'll be a good lesson and you can take that to the next deal. Um, but you know, usually you, you're not going to fail. It's just your, your fear brain talking to you. So, all right, good piece of advice. Moving us to the next question. And this is about, usually it's about the U S but you're in Canada. So we're going to say, U.S. and Canada, we're going to open up the entire entire area there. Um, it's a big area, a lot of opportunity to invest. Give me the single metro outside of Windsor that you're most excited about investing in today. So if I if I were going to to move money um, out of Windsor, I would probably head to Arizona, and primarily mm-hmm. due due to the fact that we're snowbirds here. So one of the cool things I would probably set up, and I've thought about this, is uh, you know you're thinking about retirement take two week vacation to AZ before you buy there. Right. And so, you know, set up the short-term rentals, set up, set up and, and buy over there so that you can do that. And then what you can do to the aging population is say, that's the location. Everyone here really does do Florida as well. But for me, that's the, the, the sneakier pocket for a lot of us Canadians who do like to snowbird. Right. So they, they, they'll like a lot of us do hit Florida about 19 hours, but the other one that is starting to pick up a lot of steam is AZ. Right. So in that, I would say that there's some cool things I can do locally to benefit me. So if I go to all of the people my my dad's age and say, "Hey, I know you're you know almost at retirement, you're ready to do that. Did you want to you know take some vacation time and and check out where you might want to live for six months of the year? I got this cool Airbnb. Head on down, and then partner up with a realtor down there to to a either help them buy that that rental and or partner with these people to buy their six month rental where they they go down there for the six months and then I Airbnb it for the other six months like those types of uh gamified things where when I look at the JV side of it it's it's like how do I get the ability to do things where I can leverage other people and le- and not only for their benefit but for mine and and as a partnership grow so yeah Arizona um it's a it- it's a good market. I've actually heard, was it Las Vegas or was it Phoenix? I think it was Phoenix has the highest um, volatility in all like major US markets in okay. terms of their prices go up way, you know, up pretty high and then they'll go down and up. Um, I always thought that was interesting. But yeah, that that city is just massive in Arizona. It's a good place. Um, a lot of people from Washington, we all also go down there to Snowbird. So it mm-hmm. uh, makes sense. All right. Next question is... Uh, about finding deals. It all starts with getting in contact with the seller and uh, writing up that purchase agreement. So what is your favorite way to generate leads and find good deals? So uh, it's always been repeat and referral in my world. That's where I found most of my uh, great opportunities has been able to offer people things as a realtor, right? So the real estate license gives me uh, a sneaky way to get access that a lot of other people without it can't just do. 
Um, the primary thing I'm doing external to that is literally talking to people in the real world at bars, at places, yeah. just chatting about life real as, as real estate as a background. If you're a realtor or whether you're an investor, you still love to chat about it. So just educate yourself on how to speak to sellers. A sellers usually aren't going to do it, right? The fear conversation we just had a lot of people won't do it, but they have assets or people they know that are looking to do something. And so you get your, your name in there first, whether that's, like I said, I get the benefit of showing up as the realtor or the investor, whichever one the person needs. You're just the investor. That's fine. Just get through the door before I do. Like, if a realtor's through the door, you're going to run into issues because realtors, again, were designed around fiduciary responsibilities. And so if you're thinking about looking at it as I'm not saying to take advantage of people, but if you want to be able to control the conversation and control the outcome, you want to get in front of people there. And for me, it's just talking to the real public in the real world and giving them value in the real world to then get them to refer you to somebody else or themselves if they're looking for something. So you find a way to create yourself in an image of who you are and why somebody should say, Hey, I was talking to this guy, give him a ring. He might be able to help you in that situation, especially in the environment with the, uh, with the housing crisis regarding, you know, mortgage payments and different issues we're seeing in different markets. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy how, uh, how deals just kind of come out of the woodwork sometimes when you're, when you're out there talking to people, um, you never know where a deal is going to come from. So <laughs> always, yep. uh, always chat people up. All right. Next question, um, is about lessons learned. You've already mentioned that failure is learning. And so, um, you know, some of those deals go a little sideways, but in those opportunities is where we get our best lessons. So what was a deal that went a little sideways for you and what was the biggest lesson you pulled from it? So the biggest deal would be actually a time frame. It's the best way to describe it. I bought seven properties in basically seven weeks from February 27th of 22 to April 15th, just as me and one of my business partners partnered up to Amplify. So we decided we would put our two heads together and go from basically doing two each to doing seven together. And then the market shifted on a dime. And so the mistake was made was very simple and it's not hard to understand. I thought I knew things that I didn't know, meaning my hubris, my my intellect, the ability to have done this so well and for so long and see and help people do it so well for so long gave me this fearlessness that was unfounded, meaning I didn't ask, uh, I didn't ask really good and clear questions. I sort of just went over some of the ones I didn't like, like the answers. I'm like, ah, it'll be fine, right? The, ah, it'll be fine. And so the biggest mistake I made was, ah, it'll be fine. And then it really wasn't, right? And then, and then the market really did shift and things really did go pretty bad. And the only thing I can say is I'm very grateful for all of the lessons I'd learned leading into that point because it did protect me somewhat from the fallout because I'd built in really good strategies, but it still didn't protect me from the loss. Yep. And so what I would say to people, again, use be, like learn, 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 but the hubris mind, be careful with it. Because if you think you know everything, you probably are in big trouble. The thing you want to remember is there's just ask smarter people. And if you're not willing to ask then that should tell you something pretty clear about what you're about to do, right? Like if you're like, I don't really want to talk to that guy. Cause I know he's going to tell me it's dumb. It's like, but that's fine. And it doesn't mean you have to listen, but you might want to hear why he thinks it's dumb because it might trigger something else in your head about Maybe I should clarify the biggest mistake for me, just so we're clear was I never considered that the leverage I was putting out in my investment world, that I could back it with the leverage in my, in my primary asset world, meaning that the things I already owned, my house, my other, like all these other assets would fall simultaneously. Meaning that when I lose over here, I'm also going to lose over here. So my personal wealth position that I thought was protected felt the exact same time as my investment perspective did right the the risk that i were taking and so when both things fall out the floor i didn't consider that and that sounds insane i just didn't ask the right question i didn't look at all of it in the same light i didn't say 
well, I'll protect my losses over here with my personal wealth if this does go bad. So I should be just fine. And then the problem is my personal wealth fell at the same time as the investment did. So no, <laughs> it wasn't fine because I didn't have the same resources that I thought I would have had, the same access to lending, the same access to money. So I'll just say from my own personal experience, a little bit of vulnerability with you guys is, hey, make make sure you really understand your risk and make sure you're willing to put your family, uh, your business partners and people through it if it does go bad. And just like I said, I, I don't know, man, if I would have just asked some really good questions of people around the things I really didn't want to ask, I probably could have avoided some of it. I'm not I, like no one was, I was never not going to be an investor. So there was always going to be that moment you hit the, 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 the market at just the wrong time and it falls. Cause we've been hitting it just the right time for quite a while. Right. So, you know, I, I, that's the piece I would leave with you. Yeah. Yeah. When you do your underwriting, um, just bake in, a lot of risk in there because things can go south. So, um, all right, good lesson. And that leads us to the last question. This is for the listeners. I'm sure uh, people want to reach out, get in contact with you. Where can they find you? And then what can they expect when they reach out? So you can find me at jordansylvester.com. I'm also, if you want to see me, you know, chatting away on, online, you'll find me on Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, and Instagram. Also YouTube. Um, if you want to reach out direct though to me, 519-960-0350. And if you reach out, literally, I like to chat about pretty much anything and everything. So when it comes to life, when it comes to real estate as a, as a transaction, and when it comes to investing, I love to learn from other people. And I don't mind uh, the conversation about, hey, I was thinking this. And if you want, you know, you need somebody in your world to be a resounding board, I'm happy to listen and give you my perspective. It doesn't mean I'm right. I want to be clear. It's just from my life experience and what I've already been through. I'd love to be able to use that learning I've got now and add it value out. So reach out. Uh, would be would love to chat with you guys um, around. Again, I'm a realtor, right? So if I'm going to be absolutely honest, of course, I'd like to help you buy or invest in the real estate market local, but also guys just here to help and, and want to be able to be a good influence on the world these days. All right, perfect. I will put that link in the show notes. So if y'all want to reach out, just click a little more in the description. It'll pull down that full description and in there you can find Jordan's link. All right, Jordan, that wraps it up. Thank you very much for hopping on the show. Hey, thanks so much, my friend. It was great. Absolutely. For everybody who's here with us today, thank you guys for showing up. You are the reason we do this. So if you guys have any questions whatsoever, reach out to me, Gabe with realestateinvestingclub.com. Um, if you want to support the show, just give us a like, subscribe, share. Other than that, I hope you guys have a great week. Keep rocking real estate. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. All right. Before I officially sign off, I have a quick announcement to make. If you're interested in becoming a passive investor in one of my deals, my own company, Kaizen Properties, is looking for capital partners for our upcoming projects. We invest in what are known as recession-resistant assets, mainly self-storage facilities, mobile home and RV parks, and industrial properties. If you're interested in investing and would like to learn a little bit more about my company, our investing criteria, and some of the previous projects we've done, Go to the Real Estate Investing Club podcast at therealestateinvestingclub.com and scroll all the way down to the bottom of the page. Click on the Invest With Us button. That'll pop up the investor form. Fill that out and we will reach back out to you as soon as we can. Or if you prefer a little bit more of a personal touch, you can reach out to me at gabe at therealestateinvestingclub.com. So really, that is it. Again, it was a pleasure hanging out with you guys during this episode, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.